Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. What's up, everybody? You are listening to Light the Fight. I'm David. And I'm Heidi. And if you don't know who we are in this first episode you're, you've ever listened to, then I apologize ahead of time. You for can just Google banter. us. Yeah, just go <laughs> <laughs> But no, we're coming at you straight up right now. We're coming in hot, literally hot, because we got the keto flu. At least it's building right now. If any of you guys out there I haven't ever, felt it yet. If any of you guys have ever out there tried the keto diet, don't do it, because... It will. It really helps. So don't take that. What I'm saying is don't do it. Don't do it unless you're all in. Because those first couple days, some people a week or two, you can get the keto flu, makes you feel a little hot. But so we're coming in hot, but we're coming in hopeful because you know how much we like hope here at Light like Fight. Hope. But no, it's, uh, yeah. So if halfway through the podcast, we start getting really angry and Heidi and I start yelling at each other, you'll know why. I'm actually feeling great about it. I want. I'm just, you know, full disclosure, it's day two for me, and so I'm like exactly 48 hours off of sugar. I've never gone this long, so we're in completely uncharted Uh, territory. (laughs) But, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes, so. Well, all all joking aside, this is, this will be my sixth time I've done, I've went like and do the whole keto thing. I started doing it because I've had a lot of concussions, and three years ago it was the first time I tried it, and really just it's a trip. It's it is a trip. After two weeks, my sore back from I thought all my old football injuries just went away. It was the mm-hmm. craziest thing. Like a lot of my aches and pains that were just straight from inflammation went away. So if any of you guys out there have tried the diet and you like it, great. Um, now, granted, like anything, you can do it wrong. Mm-hmm. I did it wrong one time, and I kept on doing lots of cheese and lots of meats, but I was doing lots of carbs at the same time. So apparently that's not keto. And I got my cholesterol tested and it was the highest ever in my life. My wife's like, you shouldn't be putting a pound of cheese on it. I'm like, but it's organic, baby. <laughs> Boy, it doesn't matter if it's organic if you're eating a bunch of you know bread and stuff with it. So anyways, if you've ever tried the keto diet, you want to try it, look at it. It's, it's, uh, it's a great way to live. Kind of interesting, yeah. yeah it's anyways. It's so... hard to do though all the time though, to be honest with you. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Right. There's a lot of lifestyles. There. You know, if you can make it to next week, which I believe you can, start calling you the Keto Crafting Kid. <laughs> awesome. Well, I cannot wait. That's better than Crafting Queen, I actually. That is better than Crafting Queen. <laughs> no, I, I was calling you, I used to call you the, um, what did I call you, the, was it the Queen of Craft? I think that is. The Queen of Craft? It sounds like it. And, you know, I am... I'm not sure if I feel like I'm the queen of craft, but I'm the queen of something. <laughs> the queen That's of something. That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, it's it's good to be here. And um, tonight, it is night, actually, when we're recording this. And yeah, we're recording um, this a little bit later than normal because we had to work on something else for a moment. Yeah, you guys, we are getting ready. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell. We can tell. No, no, we won't. We're yeah. getting ready t- to actually um, record and film like the fight on video so that we can share it on YouTube. We had to wait for artificial technology to be able to Photoshop us with live camera footage. So that's <laughs> you're gonna see a twenty one year old version Filters. of me and Heidi. <laughs> well, what we one of the things that we needed, we kind of have an echoey room. We noticed there was echoes and um so we have these sound filtering curtains now and um we also needed a rug. So big shout out to our well-woven friends because- You got to say that again. That sounded like a tongue twister the way you said it. Well-woven. Well-woven. And they sent, I, I reached out to them and I told them what we're doing. And they sent not one, but two rugs. Um, and I, I don't know. I can't- We're going to have to have some fun with this, We huh? can't decide which one we like better. 
Um, because, you know, aesthetics are everything, quite frankly. Presentation is everything. So we might have to get your guys' advice on it. Yeah, so stay tuned. We're we're gonna we're gonna get you guys advice to weigh in. We're not in on, quite ready. We're not quite on ready. the rug. Yeah, we're about a week out probably from getting it up. It's and, exciting and everything going. But you'll be able to watch the Light the Fight podcast on YouTube. And if you like just staring at two people making smart ass like comments and facial expressions, <laughs> of each I'm other, not the one that's making the smart out comments. That's you. You're better at the teary part. I'm better <laughs> at the the sh- the eyebrows of shame, like the shame brow. The uh, Rock, when he was a yeah, professional we, wrestler, he had the people's eyebrow. I've got the shame eyebrow. Yeah, like, really it hoody. works really well. Seriously. Yeah. Yep. So um, I have been thinking, though, for the past few days about this topic that we're gonna that we're gonna discuss, and um, I did kind of give David a little preview and I want to be gentle about telling you why I'm interested in this topic but it I will tell you like most of the topics that I want to discuss has kind of a personal a place in the personal department um, of my family and so you're gonna be gentle for the first time because <laughs> you usually say okay here's my kid here's their name I know I'm, so gonna be a, I'm gonna be a little bit more gentle about it because this because you know tender tender topic um, but what I want to, what I want to talk about is a pretty, I think it's a topic that as parents, we can really, we deal with it in ourselves, which makes it almost even harder to deal with in our kids. And we have talked here on the podcast several times about dealing with our own disappointment and our own disappointment in terms of like, these people in my life aren't living up to what I want or expect, but, and, and so that's making me feel disappointed. So we've kind of discussed that, like how do we not feel disappointed or struggling with disappointment that we, we might feel. But what I actually want to talk about today is as a parent as a mom or a dad, and maybe even a friend, a support person, how is the best way to help somebody deal with disappointment in their life? And I want to set this up just a little bit because sometimes... Oh, let me get some popcorn. Right, I know. I know, <laughs> I know. Sometimes, and how can I do this without specifics? Yeah. Right? Um, sometimes we work really hard in certain categories of of our lives. Like for example, me, crafting. It's a big deal to me. And I dare say that it's part of my identity. Um, Being a mom is part of my identity. And so for me, like when I lost my son and my job as a mom was to keep him safe, all of a sudden I felt like I lost my identity of being a good mom, right? Um, In the crafting arena, when I take an idea, um, a program, something that I'm pitching to a buyer and they don't like it, and and they don't like it, they don't like it, you know, whatever, then I start to like, because it's a big part of my identity, this what I've done, what I've prepared, what I've worked on. Um, that disappointment hurts. And I'm a 47-year-old woman, right? And so what about when we have a kid who has worked really hard? Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's um, a subject matter in school. Um Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's out of school. Maybe it's something that they've trained for from the time that they were three. And all of a sudden they get to a certain point and they're not good enough. They don't make the team. They don't get the scholarship. They don't pass the test. And then they start questioning who they are as a person. And that question, that identity crisis that comes from working so hard in that one area and then having it end. Um, 
this is a this is a tricky road i think as as a parent as a sibling as a as a friend so i wondered you know you've always got these great suggestions and i i have a notebook here i'm ready to actually take physical notes <laughs> because this is this is something that everybody goes through dealing with disappointment and um having things just not roll out like you thought they would. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, the sooner you figure out that life just isn't what you thought it was going to be, the better. So maybe don't say that. Like that's kind of what kept Sounds like something to... Grandpa Jesse would say. <laughs> it definitely kept coming to my mind. Well, uh, if any of you guys have a Grandpa Jesse out there, I, I apologize. I just like to make up random names. I think it's names. Uncle Jesse from, Uncle the, Jesse. from the Dukes of Hazard. Is that what you're? I was trying to think. To? What was that? Uh, what was that TV show where the um, Holly, the Hollywood Hillbillies? What was it where they struck gold? Remember that old TV show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Jed. it? Jed. It was Jed, Jed right? right? It was Jed. That's what it was. But it was it was the Hollywood Hillbillies or the? Oh gosh, I know someone's out there listening. No, it's not that. I can't remember. Anyways, but... it, oh no, Jed, no, 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 Beverly Hillbillies. I cannot right. believe I just black pulled gold, that up. That, that, is, is. that must be the keto talking. Like, that must right? be the See keto that? talking. See, that's what happens when you go carb deficient. You start talking more nonsense. Um, no, yeah. So so back to what you're saying, Heidi. Um, so your question, like, how do you approach that conversation? Well, what I found out that that's very helpful, and when, when you told me that you want to talk about this before the podcast, I didn't say what I wanted to talk about, but I said, I got it. Let's go. Um, not too long ago, I, I had a conversation with uh, a young person, and this is a conversation I, I've had. This conversation comes up not all the time. So to answer that question, instead of focusing on the approach, I want to give you guys some language that you can explore and work with. It's difficult sometimes to go into a conversation trying to give support to your kids without a asking a bunch of questions like, well, why do you feel that way? You know, well, it's, you know, you, you'll have another, another sport that you'll like someday, or, you know, you'll still be successful because at the moments when someone's struggling, they're down and they're really in, you know, in a bad place, feeling the self doubt, um, really just having a hard time with something being over and them or them not being successful at something. It's not an effective approach to ask them questions to try to help them figure out at that particular moment how to deal with those feelings by you telling them to tell you why are they even struggling. They don't know why they're, they're still too fresh and in the middle of it. You yeah, follow me? Yeah. It's hard. Absolutely. I, I've had so many people, not just teenagers, people in general, like I get so frustrated, like I'm, I'm mad, I'm angry. And then my parent or my spouse or partner or my friend was saying, well, why are you feeling this way? Why are you feeling that way? And like, I don't know why. And, and then you feel like you have to defend yourself. And then you waste so much energy on trying to defend the way that you feel. You don't really make sense of what you're feeling. So instead of like the approach, let me just give you some language. And so I'll go back to this young man not too long ago that, and again, I've used this with lots of people. And it's, it's a pretty wide variety of topics and conversations of someone feeling like they've failed, someone feeling like they've gone through a hard time that you can use this type of language with. So let me tell you the story. Um, and like always, when I'm speaking about clients, I'm not going to say enough of the actual details of this person. <laughs> so if I say it's a guy, it's probably a girl. <laughs> if I say, you know, it happened last month, it's probably last year. You know, I have to do these things. So, you know, to protect confidentiality. Um, but so I was talking to this young man and now I'm, I'm using an extreme example. So this young man felt in the past few years, past one or two years, very, very much convinced that his life has completely changed and not for the better. He, for the past recent months, at least almost this past whole year, school year, He's struggled with constant thoughts of suicide. And when we talked about the different details of, you know, what led him there, he just can never really wrap his head around all the different things that's happened in the past year or two 
that's made him feel this way. It's just this empty, numb feeling that he just couldn't quite understand. And it took a little while for us meeting for him to come to a place where I could share what I'm about to share with you guys. And I just got to give you a little warning because I'm using a very, very intense example, talking about someone who's feeling suicidal, that as I'm talking to this young man, as I'm, I'm about to share with you the language that you can use in lots of different situations, but he is not suicidal at the moment I'm telling him this. Like, this is not a place that he's at, but he keeps on using the language to describe the depths of pain. Like, I just don't even, I just want to die. I just don't even want to live. Now, he's, I'm a professional at this. He's not suicidal. He just, that's the only way he can express himself. Well, I this think, young man is over the top. And but I think we've heard people talk like exactly. that. Exactly. So the reason why I wanted to use this one as an example is because it's very scary when we hear more and more youth use this language. A lot of people will say, gosh, they're scaring me. Like if they're not going to take their life, they don't really want to do that. Why are they saying things like, I just want to die, I just want to die. And then the individual listening is trying to figure out, are they serious? Are they not serious? You're trying to figure this out. But what I'm about to give to you is a story that's going to give you an example of how you can have a conversation and change the language to something that you guys can both talk about and relate and connect to so that the person doesn't have to be so extreme in the way they're saying it when it comes to suicide. Now, I'll also tell you in your example, just someone failing, um, someone that's failing in something that they really enjoy or that they're trying to be successful with, how you can use it in those situations as well. So back to the story. So he and I had been working together for months. Finally got to the place. Definitely not suicidal, but the only way you could describe his feelings was with death and dying. And it was just so, it was such a pain that he didn't know any other way to express it. And so what I did was something that I learned a long time ago when I worked in psych hospitals when I used to do these suicide survivor support groups. Instead of trying to make sense of his analogy and his expression using these words of like, I just feel like I need to die, right? What I did was I pulled up the word grief. And I said, you know what? This sounds really familiar to me. And he goes, what do you, he goes, how so? I go, I go, do you, do you know what grief is? Like grieving? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, like like when someone's someone dies, you know, you, you know, you feel sad after they die. I go, ah, that's a little bit of what it is. And I explained to him that grief isn't specific to a physical death. The stages of grief I shared with him. There's there's seven documented stages of grief. First one being shock and disbelief. Second one, denial. By the way, not necessarily in these order. They're like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> they don't necessarily right. have an order. Third one, guilt. Fourth, anger and bargaining. Fifth, depression and loneliness. Sixth, um, reconstruction, uh, work through. And seven, acceptance. Now, those last ones are kind of the ones you end it with, but you know, shock and disbelief doesn't always happen before guilt. That's, you know, it's, it's not always in a perfect order. So I explained to him there's seven different stages of it. And he was looking at me going, huh. And I said, and because it doesn't have to be an actual death, let me give you a different way to see grieving. Grieving is the death of any important relationship, significant relationship in your life. And when I explained this to him, I saw him light up a little bit. I saw him kind of like some light bulbs went off. And I said, after all these months I've known you, here's a couple things I know for a fact from what you've told me out of your own mouth that I believe You've been stuck in these grieving in this grieving process with you haven't gotten through this because you didn't get to the reconstruction and the acceptance part yet. You're still in these other phases. He goes, what's that? He showed me a picture of him a couple of years prior and it was this happy, smiling, charismatic teenage boy. It just looked like he was happy. Like the picture is like, this is the happiest kid in the world. And he showed me this picture one time. He said, that kid's dead. And I said, I said, uh, like, how do you mean? He goes, that kid used to believe he could make his parents proud of him. 
that kid used to want to please people, used to feel like he could be successful, he could have friends, he could have this life. That kid was naive, so I had to kill him. I said, oh. I said, you had to kill him? He goes, yeah. I said, explain some more. So he went on to describe that he really had to get rid of that kid because that kid got him in trouble. And by the way, at the time I'm talking to him, he's in a lot of trouble. That kid back then was in trouble. That kid was not in trouble that much. But the way he described in trouble is that kid was getting him hurt. Mm. That kid was vulnerable, naive, and that kid did not have thick skin and couldn't make it in the school that he goes to now. That kid wasn't tough. He didn't stand up for himself. You know, he got punked, he got bullied, he got messed with. And he goes, so I had to kill that kid. He goes, the problem is, is these past couple years, I haven't felt the same. So I referred back to that time and I told him, I think you might be grieving the death of that part of you, that part of your life. And we went on in this back and forth conversation looking at shock, disbelief, denial, guilt. He had identified these different stages in these past couple years at different times. And he was starting to really, because he's obviously showing depression when we're talking and loneliness. And he also felt the anger and the trying to bargain, like, why can't I just be the person people want me to be? So he knew that old side of himself, it actually had to die. It couldn't come with him to this, to this new life that he had. But he also knew the person who was grieving was not really the person that made him happy and he got stuck in the grieving. And so I explained to him because he's been diagnosed with depression. He's on antidepressant medication. I explained to him what unresolved grief is and why that's an actual symptom of depression. Soon as we Googled this and looked up unresolved grief, specifically as a symptom of depression, again, another light bulb went on. And he started to realize, he goes, wait a second. This is starting to make sense to me. In his own words, and I'm paraphrasing because you know it was not super recent. He'd said, "At the time when I thought I had to kill that kid, I couldn't be him anymore. He's getting me hurt. I went to the complete extreme, and then I became this kid who was confrontational with everybody, telling people off, cursing all the time." you know, vaping, doing all these different types of stuff, changing the way I dressed. He goes, but that was a reaction to me trying to be as far away from the old person as I could possibly be. He goes, I never really properly thanked the good parts of me being innocent. The fun I had just going outside, riding my skateboard and just being a kid, not being overly concerned about what people thought about me. He goes, I went from feeling vulnerable and getting picked on all the time to going to this extreme hard personality. He goes, but honestly, I'm the softest kid I know. He has a couple of close friends and that he'll be there for his friends no matter what. So he found that by him not properly grieving, when I say death, it was like just the, the evolution that he had to change. He couldn't be that soft kid so much. He went to the opposite extreme. And then after the conversation, he realized... I got to find something closer to who I really am without trying to be someone who I'm not. Mm. And so to, to paraphrase this, this whole entire situation, and like I said, this has happened in many other conversations. When I, because, and it came about when he was saying, I don't, he goes, David, I'm not telling you I'm going to kill myself. You know, I'm not suicidal right now, but so I don't see a point of living. You know, I just, I wouldn't care if I died. If I accidentally died, but he's not going to try to do it. If I accidentally died, I'd be relieved. But when he came down to describing his pain, it felt like it was an actual death. Like there's no way to mis to misinterpret what he was saying. So he was feeling in order for me to validate how pain I how much pain I feel, I have to talk about dying and wanting to die and wanting to take my life. He said, but now that he sees that it's a grief thing, he said, I have a relationship with that pain of death because a part of me did die. And he had mentioned one time when he was dating this girl, he was too young to make it public, so him and this girl were dating, you know, like secretly. And the girlfriend's parents wouldn't let him, like they kind of found out. So she just broke it off of them. He didn't, she went to a different school. They didn't get a chance to talk. 
And so he felt like there was this death inside of him. And that had all happened in these two years too. He related that to, to what I was talking about. And he said, oh my gosh, like I'm getting it even more now. He's like, I felt like I died. Like someone was killing me when I couldn't talk to her and I couldn't see her. And so then I had to pretend I didn't care about her anymore. And I got angry towards her, even though it wasn't her fault. So this unresolved grief thing was he was understanding he was experiencing many deaths of relationships. He had a close friend of his die to suicide. And so because he had all this pain, the only way he could even talk about it was that he wanted to die only to come to find out he didn't want to die. He just didn't want to live in that kind of pain anymore. So this conversation, when I say I've had this with lots of people, it hasn't always been the same variation of it. But when I talk to someone, when, when, when I talk to someone and they're telling me, that they failed at a game or that their high school career is over with. And I'm, this may sound funny. I've had a lot of young people and older people tell me when a, when a Netflix series is over and the relationship they had with those characters. When someone's done playing football in their senior year of high school, they'll never be a part of that experience again. They can't go back and relive that. It is a death of sorts. And they're going through a grieving process, but they don't even know they're grieving from something. They just are bewildered why they feel so at loss, why they feel so empty. And then when I introduce a language to describe it, to give it validity that, no, you're grieving. Look, shock, disbelief, denial, guilt. A lot of NFL football players, I'm using an example because I, I, you know, I follow football, that are done with their NFL football careers really struggle with an identity afterwards because they've lived their whole entire life, got paid ridiculous amounts of money, which most of them don't really have a job uh, skill set that they could go make millions of dollars the day they're out of the NFL. It's a grieving process, but they don't know it's grieving. Same thing with teenagers, same thing with college kids. Because you kind of think to yourself... Well, nobody close to me died, and so I don't deserve to have this grieving. Exactly. So why am I feeling this if I don't deserve to exactly. feel that? And unless they've had actual death funerals they've gone to, and then you compare it. That's what I did with this young man. He'd been to the funeral for his his friend. He Then he realized that there's a commonality between going to his friend's funeral, dealing with the girlfriend breakup, and dealing with all this other stuff. The only difference was the funeral made more sense. Right. It was he could right. take flowers yeah. there. It was a physical thing. Other people were there experiencing the same thing. But when you're alone experiencing this thing all by yourself, even if other people are also done with dance, also done with their football career, it seems so isolated and so personal to you that we we don't necessarily get the same camaraderie and the same team and group wraparound approach of people grieving together. At a funeral and those other types of things, there is a group grieving, but with football players or you know dancers, kids graduating from high school, if they don't have something set up for them next to just transition right into, they can get stuck in that grieving process. Well, especially when the next stage is super unknown. And, and unknown also like... I, like having a hundred options is is almost worse. I mean, a lot a lot of kids leaving high school. It's not like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing my dad did. I you know I'm gonna do the family business, which which that that's what it used to be. Like okay, my dad's a dentist. I'm gonna be a dentist. Or my dad was he works for the post office. Kid. He got me a job yeah, at the post office. Yeah. But now it's like you step into that realm of a million choices and the levels of unknown like this is making tons of sense to me it's making i think that it's actually even making more sense to me because i have experienced grief like the you know the death of your son the yeah. death, and and i can look at like just like what you said that i can look at pictures of me before Corey passed away and there's a, f a freedom that I can see in my own eyes and in my own smile that didn't know what this felt like, y you know, and this, this makes a lot of sense to me also because interestingly enough, the thing that makes the most, like I've known about denial, I've known about shock, I've known about anger and guilt 
But you know what one I've actually never known about? Is reconstruction. I didn't know that was part of the grieving process. And it's almost the scariest. Well, yeah, and, and let me give you an example, not a story example, one that comes to mind because I've very painfully have had to sit with, not it's pain for me, but more pain for them. I've worked with a lot of, helped a lot of young women and young girls, boys too, more so with women, that have been sexually molested and raped. And all the other ones, it's just they're happening, right? But when you get to the reconstruction part... You have to make a decision. Exactly. It, when you get to the reconstruction part, think about it. So much of your pain is connected to that experience that when you try to separate yourself from the pain and you have to reconstruct and create a different identity, just like, and I'm using a, a, a poor example, but just like an ex that we broke up with that we know is not good for us. Logically, it doesn't benefit us any to be with that person. The expiration date's done. We need to move forward. But for some reason, we just keep on going back because it is a known. It is part of our identity. And all too often... And there are feelings. Like yeah, and there are feelings. feelings right? But back to with, with the girls, it's really confusing with them because some of these girls had never had any sexual experiences before. They'd never had anything of that. So the only thing that they associate with that was shame. But then they get into a relationship. I've counseled couples where the husband's like, I thought we we're going to get married and have sex and be all great. And the wife's sitting there going, there's some stuff in my past I never told you about. Come to find out she's sexually molested. And you know this has happened multiple times. And then now they're in a relationship where you're supposed to have sex, but yet that sex is associated to pain. And so how do you properly grieve that without hurting? <laughs> like, how do you step away from that without hurting your spouse? And like, there's this protective nature for the things that we lose. And so with this young man, getting back to the original story, he acknowledged that even though I realized that old part of me had to die, I'm still angry and bitter and frustrated that he, that he got me hurt. Like he, he was naive and that's a part of me. And so he started to realize that he had to go through that course. He had to learn, but by reacting to who he doesn't want to be anymore and do the complete opposite, that's not middle. That's not center. That's just a reaction to who he doesn't want to be anymore. But he was still connected to it because he was angry that that young naive kid got him hurt, disappointed and bullied he couldn't accept it like that seventh part. The the acceptance part of it, that that young man was not wrong or flawed. That's just who he was at that particular time in his life. And he has to, when I say properly grieve, you got to acknowledge these different phases that they're real in order for you to allow yourself to have space and move forward. I talked about one of our other, our past podcasts that in certain types of therapy, we try to expose people to the things that hurt them not in a bad way, but just to help them grow from it. So there's post-traumatic stress disorder, and then you need to achieve post-traumatic growth. Being a victim of something or being feeling like you're shame, like you're horrible, you're worthless, you're completely, you know, you're in complete shame. Being in that area of your life, that is like a death. It just hurts so bad that you've been embarrassed that you failed at something. Even though it's not an actual person that died, it's a part of your hopes and dreams that died. Those girls that I counseled that been sexually molested, the dream that they could make love to their husband for the first time and lose their virginity, gone. The dream that they could have a good happy, normal sexual experience with a loved one, gone. It died. And that is so hard for people to wrap their head around from as small as ending high school, as small as having a friend group just move on and you not really be able to connect with anymore to being done with sports to all the more extreme stuff like the, you know being molested, trauma, all the way to death and suicide. 
These are different types of relationships that we have to grieve. And if we're not grieving them properly, there's so many signs and signals that are telling us something is not right. And unfortunately for that young man in the story I told, he thought that the only way he could make sense of it is he would have to try death. Because if he felt like he died, then him being alive was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so he did have suicide attempts prior before I met him. But once we started talking about this, he's like, oh, okay, I'm just trying to validate my feelings. But he didn't want to go back to who he was because that's not who he, wanted, who he wanted to be. But he couldn't react and be someone who he's not because that's disingenuous. He's not a mean person that wants to fight and be confrontational. He had to figure out how to deal with his grief in a matter that he could learn from those experiences versus those experiences identify him and give him uh, like a black marking over him so that he was flawed in some way. How could he turn that around from that pain as we talk about in the podcast? How could he go from pain to seeing some sort of freaking purpose out of the pain that he could right. take away right. and like use for his benefit? Well, so now like we present this concept of unresolved grief. We present this fact that yes, something has died. Something in your life has died. A dream has died. A relationship has died or whatever that is. Um, and, and they may or may not have had control over it, right? Like, I, th I think the most frustrating ones are the ones that we don't have control over, but some things we do have control over and they still end and it's still hard, right? So now, maybe what I want to... I was going to share the approach. Okay. Now okay, that you have the because, information. Because I'm asking myself, like, what we want to do as a mom is say, don't be sad. You're better than them. Or... You know, it's it's time for you to grow up or get used to ex get used to disappointment, babe, because this is called real life or, you know, whatever yeah. that is. Dismissing so, the pain, dismissing how uncomfortable it is for them at that time. Right. Which it's not which the intention of the person to dismiss it. But when you see a loved one in pain, it makes you very uncomfortable and it creates a sense of pain for yourself. Well, and, and the fact is that when you're like maybe you're 20 years older than this person and you're looking back at the thing that they're grieving and you're like, oh, geez, this is like, come on. Even though you when know? you're 17, you didn't make, you it would have been a huge big deal to you, you too. You know, you didn't make the traveling team. Let's get a grip. On, you know, there's a big, you know. And so, and so yeah, that's, that's the thing. We can't minimize it. And we can't just say better luck next time. You know, like... There's got to be an approach that, okay, so tell me the approach. Well, the, the typical thing that you're referring to people do is dismissing, minimizing, and then fluffing. It's like, oh, well, but you're so amazing in all these other areas. See, like, you know, tons of people like you. When a person's talking about a fail in a relationship, it, sometimes it's not always the best approach to tell them how many other people like them. It's not a bad thing. It just depends on who you are to that person. If you're their friend and a girlfriend tells you, you know, Heidi, you know, younger Heidi, it's like, you know, that guy wasn't good enough for you anyways. You know, you're going to meet someone better. And I'll tell you what, there's three guys I could introduce you to that may not actually like fix the problem for you, but it's like, that's cool that she thinks I'm dateable. You know, like right. that's a little bit helpful. But most people listen to this podcast are parents. And most people listen to podcasts are parents concerned about their kids. So as a parent, by you taking that approach of the fluffing, it's like, you know, it's going to get better next time. That is dismissing. It's just dismissing it in a very fluffy way. Or, you know, you'll, you know, other people like you, you'll be successful in other things. So instead, the approach that, that I'm sharing with you is take what I just said, the, the terminology and the wording of grieving. This is how I do it with the young people that I'm counseling with. And I've done it with older people too. And it is genuine. I don't, I'm not saying this just to make them feel better. I truly believe this. So I start out like this. They're telling me what they're, they're struggling with. They don't associate that with grief. They associate with the failure, worthlessness, shame, shame, all those different types of things, right? That's what they associate with embarrassment, right? So instead I sit there with this very, a look on my face, man, when we get YouTube, you'll be able to see this a little bit better. Like a look on, <laughs> because body language is so, so important. If you're uncomfortable and you're sitting there just trying to interrupt them to tell them it's going to be better, or you look awkward, awkwardly uncomfortable with them saying this, what I'm about to say won't work. 
The only way this is going to work is you have to look very concerned, very interested in what they're saying. And that it really bothers you personally for them. Like bothers you and like, oh my gosh, like you're feeling the pain with them. And then what you simply do is you say, you know what? And you got to pick pick this timing. Don't be in a hurry to run into these conversations. What I'm about to give you is a whole lot of Light the Fight podcasts, parenting workshops in a very quick rapid fire way right now. First thing, thank them for opening up and telling you this stuff. It may seem like the most simplest thing. Like, what do you mean thank them? Well, you want to reward someone for sharing their struggle because if they're not sharing their struggle, it's a whole lot worse. Sure. So thank them. Number two, after you thank them, sit there and sit with them and wait for them to vent and just let the air out of all the stress and pressure that they got going on. Give them their moment to be heard, to be understood. And that's where you want to show the body language, the facial expressions like, oh man, like, like you take deep breaths and sighs and like, oh man, like you really sit and hold that emotion with them, okay? And if it sounds like I'm telling you to get into a character, yes, I'm telling you to get into a character because when we think we're showing concern in our facial expressions, usually it doesn't convey that to the person. You need to be exaggerating this. That way it's not misinterpreted. A lot of parents think like, I'm sitting here concerned and it looks like you're pissed off. Mm -hmm. Your concern look doesn't really necessarily translate. So you have to really get into that character and be like, oh man, the size of, oh my gosh, like, ah, but not be in a hurry to respond. Once they've kind of got enough of their feelings of disappointment out, that's when you sit with them, kind of say, you know what? And you can use your own version of this, but this is a very easy, simplified, my go-to. You know what? This may sound a little weird what I'm about to say, but you know what? What you're telling me, now let's imagine a girl, she's done with dance, right? Like Just like your daughter, senior year, done with dance, and you're feeling, you're seeing her slot, like around the house, she's looking down and depressed, just something's off and wrong. And you look at her after you've done all these steps, you say, you know, this may sound really weird, but I think you might actually be going like through a grieving process. Now, time out for a second. Find me a teenager, a young person that when they are in pain are not really exaggerating in the way they express themselves. The eye rollings, the heavy body language. And even the ones who are the quiet, shy type that keep themselves, they're staring at the ground. They look visibly uncomfortable. So when you tell someone that this, you might be going through like a grieving process, then you follow it up with, like I said, this may not, this may not make sense to you, but I heard and I found out that when someone dies, all the pain and stuff you feel and all this hard, difficult things you feel, that's like, it's frustrating. And you can read off, it's like this anger and you feel this like, why didn't I do this? And like, why, I wish I had a second chance and I wish it didn't have to end. But I read and I heard that you don't just grieve the death of someone, you grieve the death of important relationships in your life. And you had a really important relationship with dance. I tell you what, I've never said this to someone and they looked at me like, that's absurd. That doesn't make any sense. I usually get this look where their head turned towards me. Their eyes get big. They're like, yeah, right? Because you're using something that sounds so powerfully definitive like death to describe a pain to them that feels like a loss and like a death. So it actually validates their emotions. You're not giving them a language to say, go kill yourself. That's not what you're right, saying. Right, right. You're giving them a language 
that the language matches up with the intensity of the emotions mm-hmm. and the thoughts and feeling. And then, and like, this is really significant. It's happening. This it's really significant. matters to you, right? And I get that. Yeah, like the reason why you there's a funeral, there's flowers. It's all day. Then you go to brunch after. You know, all these things happen. People post about it. Deaths, like actual real deaths. The reason why so much goes into funerals and the planning is because it's not a celebration. It's not a party you're throwing. It's an acknowledgement that it was real. Mm-hmm. That loss was real. All too often, we don't get acknowledgement that our pain and our loss is real. And we don't think, like you said earlier, Hardy, how many, uh, most kids wouldn't bury it. You yeah, most like kids wouldn't it, say, throw it away, pretend like it never happened. Most kids wouldn't say, oh, I feel like this is a death, even though they're feeling like that. And most people, when they hear that, wouldn't think, oh, that validates as a death. But I tell teenagers, I said, you need to go explain this to your parents. Say, this may sound crazy. Instead of saying, I feel like I died, say, I feel like I'm grieving. It's not a death of a person or anything, but it's a death of something that was important to me. When I talk to people that have been married, divorced, and then remarried, it's like, so is this where you plan to be when you're 35 years old? They're like, nope. I'm like, so you have to grieve that it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. And I know you can relate to this, Heidi, and a lot of people... They'll sit there and say, for the past 10 years of my life, I planned it to be a certain way, and now it's not that way. <sighs> they don't want to let go of that. Right. Everything was bet. They bet everything that it was going to turn out that way. That's a process of grief. Like they're trying to bargain. They're trying to, they're angry. They feel yeah. guilty that they didn't do this and that. And that's a normal process. So I don't tell people just, just get over it. But I also don't tell people that it's not real either. And when you give them the seven different steps, just go, which one are you in right now? And they can point at it. Mm-hmm. They can say, I'm in disbelief. Uh, I'm in denial. Uh, I'm depressed. I'm I'm angry. I'm guilty. I like that. I like that a lot because, and I guess I'm relating with this on so many levels because I have really, I can relate with it on the most extreme level. Um. But I can also relate with it on the teeniest of levels where it's like. Death of your identity that you talked about earlier. Well, and that's probably more extreme, but like even, you know, not getting into a college that I wanted to get into or a program in the college that I didn't want to get into or, you know, not scoring a certain number on, on a test or you know, not getting a buyer to pick up a program that I really thought was going to work out or, you know. And it feels so definite at the time. It feels so like that's it. Like, and that's the thing that death, we associate death with, that's it, done. And so when I'm hearing people using damned if I do, damned if I don't, they're associating that one moment and that pain of that moment as a predictor of future moments. Uh And that's a, a problem with being able to get through grief properly. But this also is such a light bulb moment for me. And because I th- I've thought about grief a lot. I've, I've wondered where I was. I've noticed that we've talked about this. It's cycles. And so you might have the disbelief like a lot of times in a, in a row. But I've never thought about how all of these things like the depression, the anger, the guilt, the denial, they kind of come whether they're invited or not, right? And and you don't really get to choose. You don't really know what you're going to feel that day, what's going to trigger what feeling. But I've never thought about how you choose the reconstruction. And the reality is that I feel like I've had to choose my own reconstruction multiple times. And then fail <laughs> because I got because I was depressed, or fail because I was in denial. And then I choose reconstruction, and then again I'm angry, and it sets me back. Right? Um. Th- this is really this is really good information, actually. Well, really quick, back are we, to are we back to summarize. Back to summarize what I was saying as far as like. Once you go and you carry the body language, you tell a person, this may sound crazy, but it reminds me Might of grief. Yeah. Then what you do is you educate them with providing them with information and new language. 
Because yeah. when you're trying to put words to describe your pain, there doesn't seem to f- be too many words in the English language that accurately yeah. describe it. But then again, if it's not something that significant, it's a small thing. No one wants to sound like they're crazy or and being like appreciative. Totally yeah. yeah, they don't want to sound like they're inappreciative of the great, amazing blessings in their life. So there becomes this disconnect. Like I feel this intense pain, but outside I don't really have a, a logical reason to validate it, and I'll sound stupid if I talk about it. So once you have that conversation and you invite them to having a new language with it, it opens up different ideas. So I'll give you the ending of that story with that young man. His idea, not mine. He said at um, his friend's funeral, the eulogy, he said, my friend died of suicide. He goes, but the eulogy wasn't about all the things that caused him to take his life. The eulogy was about all the amazing things in his life. And so his own connection with that, he goes, I think I need to write a eulogy for my former self and properly give him the burial he deserves. His idea, not mine. Now, Grant, there's a lot of deep stuff happening in the talk, so he didn't just, it was like one light bulb to next, next, next. So what he did was, from that session, next session, he wrote a eulogy. And he didn't write it for his death. He wrote it for that boy who he despised that he felt got him bullied and hurt. And he said, you know what? He was a fun loving kid that just wanted to go ride a skateboard. He was naive to all the pain in the world, but that was the most beautiful thing about him. He didn't care what people thought about him. He wasn't concerned about critics. He was goofy and weird and people made fun of him. And he just, he laughed it off. He actually paid homage and respect to all the great things about that young man instead of despising him, hating him, being frustrated that he ever existed. And then shortly after that, that was that reconstruction stage. And he was then shortly after that able to start with the acceptance that that was just what I went through, a part of how I had to get here. And then the last two years was my anger and frustration. And now I can put that to rest. And he's, he now feels he's better. I mean, I've talked to him a long time, but he now feels like he's better off because of it. Mm-hmm. Which I think most of us get to. Yeah. When I, I said I haven't that, talked to him in a long time, possible. I haven't talked to him about this in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like it's, this has been kind of, you know, something that's been going on for a while, but it's just, this was no longer the issue anymore. Then it just went to the other thing that he needed to focus on and moving yeah. forward in his life. Well, you know, I think it is so easy to... And and we say this a lot, and I I mean I've heard you say this a lot. Like this isn't who you are; it's what you're going through. And it's really easy for us as humans, no matter what stage of life we are, to take on the experiences that we're having as our identity. Well, how many how many people just got stuck? Think of how many times you friends, family member. I know I can think of fifty people I know personally off the top of my head that they've never got out of a death of a relationship. They're stuck. I remember after one relationship I got out of, I went heavy into drinking and partying. And man, like I was able to empathize with people that became full-blown addicts after a huge death in their life, physical or relationship-wise, right. because the pain is so bad, it's just you just need to numb it. Well, the grieving process allows you to acknowledge that that relationship was significant and it was important. Numbing it, running away from it, doesn't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't acknowledge it, you can't accept it. And I think that as a parent or as a significant other or as a best friend, you're the perfect person to help take them to to be a guide in in this grieving process. It does help to have a guide. It does help to have somebody to kind of maybe help you see things from a different perspective. But a guy doesn't convince you that it's not happening. A guy doesn't try to minimize it. A guy says, gosh, you know, I can relate to it, give some helpful information. And in this language, it's, it's been so helpful for me throughout the years. I can give it the stamp of approval that you can start a conversation on the smallest of things. Like Heidi just said, failing a test, even younger kids, you know, that don't really understand too much. I mean, not like four or five, obviously, but even younger kids in elementary, it's like, man, you know what? 
you know, almost it's like, you know, this part of, of you is gone. It's like this well, part of your life is gone. And like, that best, feels like a death, you know, your have friend. Have a best friend move away. Yeah, you know, yeah. Have, and yeah. it allows you, here's another thing, as a support person, as a guide, it allows you to talk about it in a way that doesn't frustrate you and it gives you some sort of navigation. Because it's easy to just go, just just get of it. You'll meet, you'll meet new friends. But if you go, no, actually I've, yeah, like it makes sense. Like it feels like a death. Like, cause your friends, even though they didn't die, they're gone. And in some ways it's more complicated than a death because you know, they're out there. You can FaceTime them, but it's just, it's not it's the same, same anymore. Yeah. It's changed. Yeah. Well, I appreciate this. Um, and I, I can think, you know, I came, I came here with kind of one situation in my mind. And now as I sit here, I think of many situations that different friends of mine are going through, different people that I have associated with in different age groups that have gone through that, that I can really see this helping, you know, so this is a great talking point. Yeah. It's just, it allows a conversation to take up a turn with a purpose versus trying to go back and forth with someone trying to convince them and, and them trying every, to defend their thoughts and feelings. Every and, one of us has had to grieve something at some point for sure. You know, that's a, that's a human condition. And, and one of the books we talked about in one of the earlier podcasts, um, uh, a book called, um, uh, Johan Hari, the, uh, gosh, lost connection. Jeez. It's the <laughs> keto flu right now. <laughs> um, you know, he had mentioned it too, and, and I really liked how he put it in just because I, I, I hadn't really thought about it this specific before. But he said, he posed the question what if depression is really just a form of grief? And I, I, I completely agree with that. And I'm not saying that depression is also not a chemical imbalance and not all these other things. But if you think about the origins and the root of it, unresolved grief if you look at depression is a symptom of depression. It's like, yeah. that's what, can, like, that's what you can go. Oh, that person must be depressed. Well, it's like the chicken or the egg. Like is the unresolved grief. Is that what's really causing the depression? Because we've lost out on so many things in our life. One of the things that can cause depression just physically and biologically is going through a major trauma or a surgery. Well, a part of you did die. If you've ever gone through anesthesia and had this work done, you come out, it's like, you're different. Like you're in shock. Like you're not the same person. When you look at the pictures of old Heidi before your son passed away till now, you can't tell me that that's the same person in those pictures versus today. So it's like, we're dying many different, we're, we're dealing with many different deaths in our life. But if we're not properly grieving each death as they come, if they start to stack up on top of each other, there's a lot of people out there walking oh, yeah. around that are trying to grieve seven different deaths yeah. at one time. And yeah. that is too much for anyone to handle. Yeah. And, and that happen that can happen so easy. Oh, so easily. So easily. And they, yeah. the little ones can stack up next thing, you know, you throw a big one on it, you know, it feels, it feels completely overwhelming. It's almost like I can feel the light bulb moments going on for our listeners. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm feeling it here. Even Brandon is having a light bulb moment, I think. <laughs> which is not easy because he knows everything. Right, Brandon? <laughs> yeah, true confession. I The first time that I personally felt this, um, well, I the, like in my adult life, like a big one was um, when I got married to my current wife. Like when we first got married, it's like, you know, you're in the dating phase and I was married once before. This is the perfect woman for me. I thought it'd be perfect. As soon as we get married right after our honeymoon, I mean, we struggled for the first two years. I mean, we went to counseling and my mind was blown. I'm like, she's making me feel exactly like my ex-wife made me feel, but she's a totally different person. And I'm like, <gasps> like I had so much unresolved like PTSD grief. PTSD type of a nah, not PTSD, but just like, <laughs> I mean, I had the mommy issues, the ex-wife. Yeah, and like, yeah, okay. I hadn't just really, I hadn't really worked through acknowledgement, acknowledge like the the divorce I'd went through. I just like, oh, this is a different situation. It's better. It's great. And it confused me at first, like, why is my current wife, who I knew was the right choice for me, making me feel like the old wife? And I had to deal with some certain things that I thought I dealt with. And sometimes unresolved grief means we got to go back and open up some of those files from the past and just look at them again with with a new with with new eyes, like, you know, mm-hmm. put on a new set of glasses. And I figured it out really quickly 
when I started going through counseling and more importantly, when I started counseling people again, as soon as I started counseling again here in the state of Utah, because I took a small hiatus from when we moved from California to Utah, that's what changed me and my wife's relationship. It wasn't so much the actual counseling I went to, but when I was really counseling couples again and talking with families, I I saw what I wasn't seeing in my own relationship. I went home and I started to do the things that I knew other people needed to do and it quickly started to turn around my relationship with my wife. But I, I didn't I didn't even see it myself because I hadn't properly put to rest some of the things that were still still hanging around. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm learning, you guys. I'm learning. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> All right. Well, I think um thank you for sharing that. I think that that definitely answered my question. Um and I also think we're at the end of our allotted time. They're kicking us out in here security. They're, banging on our they're door. kicking us out of your studio. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, it's been a late night. You guys, as we said, we'll be doing YouTube really soon. So you guys get to see Heidi and I's lovely faces. We're so Heidi's really excited about that. I am because I like to come here like with no makeup and you know, oh, sarcasm just... on my part. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm going to have to start looking. Well, how about me? I got all these marks all over my face. I'm going to have to, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, David does look like he got beat up today. I kind of did, but (laughs) the person did shake my hand afterwards. I was trying really hard not to look right at it. I know. And do you notice I have a little cover-up makeup on it from earlier? It came off, though. Yes, guys. You put makeup on it? I tried to put some of my wife's (laughs) cover-up makeup on it. Hey, this confession session right here. Yeah, if you could see me right between Just my so two you know, eyes. It is a huge red mark. Yeah, not as huge right now, but we had a meeting earlier today. And right when I walked in, she looked at me. She's like, like almost in that Austin Powers movie. It's like, molly, 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 molly. Like, you couldn't take it. I'm like, okay, yeah, Heidi, you, I see you it. Couldn't, like, you couldn't. And, I, and then I just, I wanted to ask what it was, but it, but we're in a meeting. So then I just had to like make some jabs. Believe it or not, you guys, when I go train like the mixed martial arts stuff, there's people there that want to hurt me. <laughs> Like they like, I don't care if you like talk about feelings that they go, oh yeah, you want to help people? We're going to help you, Dave. We're going to humble you. Right. So. Well, um, as always, you guys, we appreciate you coming and listening, putting up with us um, in our, in our reality. Um, We, we appreciate you coming because we know that we're asking you to take a harder look at yourself, which is hard. It's easier. It's so much easier to like, Look and see the problems in other people. Um, but really, this is a change. This and every other podcast is a change that you have to look at yourself and make. And I know that as you contemplate this situation, you'll be able to find ways that you can strengthen the relationships in your life by following these suggestions. And um, man, this this was a... This was a good light bulb moment moment for me. Um, And please explore with, I just gave you like some some language, some ideas. You know, you can use your own approach of how you want to, you know, talk about that with with someone to help connect with them and help them go through their grieving process because grieving is so much more, it's it's more effective when it's not done alone. When you're not doing it, when you're doing grieving alone, it's really easy to get stuck. That's why I use the example of funerals and those things as hard as they are, it's a shared experience. It's some cultures, they have specific ways to grieve and it's not 100% alone. It's usually social. Like it is a social experience that you're validated by the more people that are on the same level as you. Like you talked about after your son passed, the, the hugs you got and those things. Imagine if you just put them in the ground. If there was no service, there's there's no kids wearing wolf shirts. Imagine doing that all alone. Right. Well, and you said the, the key word right there, validation. When we say to somebody, I think you might be craving this, that's validation. And that's the opposite of the dismissal and the minimizing that we kind of want to do just to maybe try to like kick it to the curb, you know? And one thing I forgot to point out, you guys, this could be a conversation you need to have with yourself. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. This, this might be, I've, I've had to have some tough ones with myself where I'm like, I'm mad. And like, how come I can't get over something only for me to remind my own Kool-Aid that I have people drink. I'm like, Oh, 
I'm actually grieving. Like, yeah. And then it reminds me that it must have been important then. Whatever it was, it had to have been important, regardless how ridiculous or stupid it may sound on the outside. It must have been important for me to feel this way. And it might not make sense, like you yeah, said. Yeah, might not Sometimes make sense. It might, it might not make sense, but it is real, and, and so processing through it helps. Anyway, so good. So good. I love it. Um, again. And if you're grieving the loss of your contacts, just call 1-800. There. <laughs> There you go. If you can't, you can't find if, it, if you can't find them, misplace them. I just want to give them a shout out. Too yeah. long. Normally, we just thank them for supporting us, but I just want to, you know they also have a good product too. Great product. We really like those folks. Yeah. At one eight hundred. So um, and and we really like we really like our friend. I I have to just say it is making me so happy just that this cool rug is on the floor. Well, we got listen up, guys. We're gonna need your guys' help. We got two beautiful rugs to pick from. Within about a week or so, or, you know, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna get we're a gonna little. Let you pick. We're gonna let you guys pick. So, all right, you guys, thank you so much again for listening, and as always, thank you for helping us to light the fight. <laughs>